when I say, hallowed be thy name, when I talk about the name and what the name means, I'm going to tell you something from my own personal experience. Growing up in a town, some of you grew up in small towns where everybody knew everybody. Uh, I grew up in a town, it was not very small, but everybody knew me. And uh, as a teenager, I didn't like that very much. And especially to grow up in a family that everybody knew your family, (laughs) and a family that prizes its name as the most prized possession, more than money or fame or prestige or anything in the world, that name is the most important thing to your family. So when you realize growing up in that kind of environment, what kind of a pressure that puts on a person to keep up that name. In fact, many times in my teen foolishness, I wish that I had a different name and uh, didn't necessarily want people to know me and know my family name. And for a season, I did rebel against that name, wishing that truly my name was different. But now, as I begin to contemplate and preach on the name of God, I realize how it is in biblical culture that names are of uttermost importance. A name is as significant as the person himself. In fact, I can tell you, more significant than the person. Names are not just sentimentality. Well, you name somebody after your great uncle or aunt and, and you know, just make them feel good and use their names. They are absolute representation of who you are and what expectation for you to be, what role you're going to play in life. That's what name is so important in biblical culture. In biblical culture, names always have meanings. Names often describe the person's character, or at least what the parents hope that this person's character would be. And you remember many times in the Bible, God changed people's names in order to make those names and the meaning of those names conform to what God expecting them to be and what God expecting them to do. So Abraham became Abraham, and Sarai became Sarah, and Jacob became Israel. The name is very significant, vitally important. In fact, because it happened that my parents were about to abort me, and you'll read that story at, uh, uh, before I was born, of course. Uh, <laughs> I think they attempted to abort me after I was born, too. <laughs> I remember the very name who is like God because they came to a point in their lives where they submitted to the will of God despite of three doctors telling my mother that her health will not support her to have another child. Who is like God? And that's exactly how they felt that my purpose in life would be. I hope I can live up to that. (laughs) Now, it's the same way with God. God's name is more than just a title. God's name represents all he is. God's name represents his character. God's name represents his reputation. God's name represents his authority. God's name represents his nature. God's name represents all that he is. In fact, the ancient Hebrews respected and reverenced the name of God so much that they would not commit it to writing. They would not write it down. 
And when Moses was asked of God, when God sent him to go to Egypt to get his people out of slavery, and Moses said, who shall I tell them sent me? And God said, tell them, I am sent you. It is not I was because he would have been the God of the past. It is not I will be because he will be the God of the future. But I am says that I am the God of the past. I am the God of the future and I'm the God of the presence. I am. I am sent you. I am who will forever be. Who I am. And the Lord Jesus Christ, in trying to convince these hard headed Pharisees who refuse to believe his Messiahship, who, like so many leaders of our churches today, refuse to believe in his divine authority, said to them, I am. In John chapter 8, verse 58, he said, Before Abraham was, I am. What is he trying to do? He's trying to get through to the thick heads that he is the same I am who appeared to Abraham. He is the same I am who appeared to Jacob. He is the same I am who told Moses to go into Egypt and tell them I am sent you. And that is why the Lord Jesus Christ many times, at least seven or eight times in the book of John, he said, I am. I am the good shepherd. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am, because he is the same God who appeared to Abraham, is the same Lord Jesus Christ who was incarnate of a virgin Mary. And that is why Jesus said to his disciples, and he says to us, that when you pray, say, our daddy who is in heaven, who is in control of the universe, hallowed be thy name. The first expression of our prayer life after addressing who our God is, is the name of God to be hallowed and be glorified. God's name should be first and foremost in our minds when we pray. I understand there's so much confusion in the mind of people about prayer. They think, well, you come to God with your grocery list and you pray, give me this God, give me this God, do this God, do this God, and then take off. Now, that is not the prayer that is honoring to God. Jesus is saying the prayer that is honoring to God is when you come to him, acknowledge his fatherhood, acknowledge his dominion over the heavens, and then say, hallowed be thy name. That's where it begins. Now I realize probably some of you don't like your names. (laughs) Like I had experience. I have a friend in the Midwest who told me he hated his name. He cringed at school every time that his name was mentioned. In fact, there's a story about a couple, Mr. and Mrs. Brown, who had a son. And they said, you know, Brown is such a a lackluster name. It's such a common name. It's it's a kind of a a familiar name to everybody. Let's name our son some name that is so unusual. So they named him Fantastic. (laughs) The poor kid growing up, he hated the name. Every time they say Fantastic Brown and he wants to hide. (laughs) Then he got married. What happened? His wife loved the name. (laughs) And she didn't want him to change it. Every time he tried to change his name, she said, I love that name, fantastic. Just leave it. Well, finally he was dying. And he said to his wife, he said, look, I lived with that name all my life. But I'm going to ask you for one favor (laughs) just before I die. And that favor is this. I want you not to put that name fantastic on my tombstone. (laughs) Just put brown. Well, she was torn. 
On the one hand, she loved her husband, and she wanted to honor his request. And on the other hand, she loved the name Fantastic. And it really was a dilemma for her. How would she solve that dilemma? Well, finally, she decided. She said, I know what I'm going to do. She wrote the following words in his tombstone. She says, Brown, during his long marriage, he never looked at another woman. And everyone passed by the tombstone said, that's fantastic. (laughs) I tell you. (laughs) Women will always get the last word. (laughs) What Jesus is saying here about the name of the Father is that when you pray and call upon your daddy who is in heaven... When you call after you identify him, call these words, Oh, my daddy, may your name, may your person, may your identity, may your character, may your reputation, may your very being be honored and magnified in my life. That's what he's saying. Now, hallowed be thy name is kind of will mean nothing. To those who do not understand the character of God. It means nothing to those who do not honor the character of God. Unless you are delighted in the character of God. And so in love with the character of God. Hallowed be thy name. You can say it 26 times every 6 minutes. It will mean nothing. Years ago I heard somebody said. Imagine the character of God is like a a 6 sided cube. That is so Together, you cannot split them. You cannot separate them. On side one, there is purity, holiness, and flawlessness. On side two, there is absolute love and compassion and concern. Then on side three, there is righteousness and justice and impeccability. Then on side four, there is mercy and kindness and long-suffering. On side five, there is honesty and truth and integrity and dependability. And then on side six, there is faithfulness, understanding, and deep interest and concern for his children all go together as six sides of the cube but the problem with our smorgasbord Christianity the problem with our picking and choosing Christianity today there are so many people in the churches who want to pick and choose of God's character they often want to choose his love but they reject his justice They often want to accept his compassion, but they reject his purity and righteousness and holiness. And when you do that, you are not worshiping the living God. You are not worshiping the God of the Bible. And there are so many churches and so many denominations who are not worshiping the God of the Bible because they try to pick and choose of the character of God. To say, hallowed be thy name is to accept all that God is. All of it. The whole package. You can't pick and choose. But there's a problem, of course, in the English word hallowed, or some people say hallowed, be thy name. You know, you've been in some of those churches. (laughs) And that word hallowed is just not a word that we use in our everyday English. It's an archaic word that uh, is to do with holy, uh, being holy, But even then, if you say, Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy, there's still a problem, a problem of perception. The very word holy kind of 
communicates to our modern generation a picture of a, a musty, dark church, a morbid music, a long robes and halos on the head. And that's how we think about holy somewhere in these buildings. That's, that's what holy is. But the word holy means to be set apart. And to hollow the name of God is to set him apart. And you set him apart for praise. You set him apart for adoration. You set him apart for worship. Hallowed be thy name. The name of God is set aside and set apart for one purpose and one purpose only. And that is to magnify his name, to honor his name, to glorify his name. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, I'm glad you asked because I'm anxious to tell you. You do that in three ways. First, the heart and the lips rejoices in that name. Repeats that name, praise that name, honor that name. And secondly, you do that by giving of your substance to God. How many of you realize that when you give your tithe and offering, you are praising God as much as you are saying it with your lips, if not more? Thirdly, you praise the name of God by living in obedience to Him and to His Word in every area of your life. How many of you know that when you say no to temptation, you are praising the name of God? You are honoring the name of God. You are glorifying the name of God. Someone said that if you really want to see the devil get mad, (laughs) express thanksgiving to God. But we mumble and we grumble and we sulk and sour and complain. And no wonder we give the enemy a foothold in our lives. When the truth and the secret for victory is praise and thanksgiving and gratitude to God. The expression of thanksgiving takes these three forms. It is in words that come out of a pure heart. It is in sacrificial giving. It is in obedience to the word of God and to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I realize that I'm thankful that I lived long enough to realize that many Christians may have it easier with one or even more of those three than all of the three put together. That some people have no problem praising God with their lips. But when it comes to their pocketbook, oh boy, you better get out of there. There was a preacher by the name of Chapman years ago. He said, I love to preach on giving because I love to see the generous rejoice and the stingy suffer. (laughs) I love those old boys, I tell you. There are some who love to give and they're so generous, but when it comes to opening their lips in praise, man, they are six o'clock face. They cannot get into praising the Lord. There are some who give and praise But they're living a life of compromise and disobedience. But to praise the name of God is to have all these three together. In fact, the origin of the word adoration comes from the root of taking the back of the hand to the lips and kissing it. As a matter of fact, in some countries, even today, kissing the back of the hand is a symbol of deep respect. It's a symbol of submission. The three forms of adoration to our Heavenly Father is no other than saying, Lord God, we recognize your sovereignty over us. We surrender to your power and to your authority over us. 
We seek your dominion over us. We gladly place you first and foremost in our lives, in every area of our lives. We freely submit our wills to your will. That's what hallowed be thy name means. (laughs) Not hallowed be thy name, no. That's not what Jesus had in mind. That's why he said pray in this manner or in accordance to this pattern. And that's what praise and adoration is all about. You see, the nature of praise is unselfishness. The very essence of praise is the decentralization of self. The very heart of praise is relinquishing of self and preoccupation with self. And relinquishing preoccupation with yourself is the only sign that you are spiritually healthy. And that is why some of you might find it hard to get into praise and adoration of the living God. Whether it is through words or through giving or through obedience. What's the reason for that? I want to tell you. Use all the words you want to use. But here's the reason. We are self-conscious. We are preoccupied with who we are, not who God is. We are more concerned of what people are going to say about us, not what God is going to say about us. You know, when David got carried away in praise and adoration of the Lord, he gave literally all of his assets to build the temple. But he did something else. He danced before the Ark of the Covenant. (laughs) And his sour, bitter wife, Michael, the daughter of Saul, do you remember her? She was looking through the window and she saw what is happening and boy she could not wait for him to come home to lambast him (laughs) how can you lower yourself before the servants David looked at her upper crust arrogance and preoccupation with self reputation and he said to her in effect there is nothing I would not do in the honor of my lord I realize using the archaic language and the archaic English of the word, Hallowed be thy name, it's not what Jesus really had in mind. As a matter of fact, I, I remember some years ago, a little boy went to spend the summer with his grandparents. And his grandpa took him to an evening service in a church where he went on a regular basis. But it was one of those churches, you know, Hallowed be thy name. It was dull and duller. And... Uh, And there's sort of no joy. And the boy, after he went home with his grandpa, before he went to bed, he knelt by his bedside and began to pray. (laughs) He said, Lord, I thank you for giving me the opportunity to go to church with my grandpa. But I wish you had been there. (laughs) (laughs) Hallowed be thy name. It's not what Jesus had in mind. This kind of pious, condescending death. That's not what he had in mind. He was saying, pray according to the following pattern. I'll never forget, back in 1972, I was a student, I was a seminarian, and I was working as a a student pastor for one and a half days during the week, and I was in one of those churches. I think God was trying to teach me patience. So he sent me to one church, and uh, and I, back then, there was still argument about whether we ought to use another translation other than the King James Version. Some pious people call it St. James Version. 
If they know how King James lived, they won't call him saint. But I remember one time, I just deliberately took my RSV with me, the Revised Standard Version, which I thought was very close to the King James. And this lady walked after church. I mean, she wagged her finger at me. She said, young man, if King James Version was good enough for St. Paul, it's good enough for us. (laughs) I tried to tell her that he didn't even speak English. (laughs) Oh, man. Here's what Jesus is saying. Father, may your name be honored and glorified in us. No wonder the psalmist said that God indwells, he inhabits the praises of his people. You know, when you come to church so casually, your heart is not praising the Lord. Your mind is not praising the Lord. And you run in here late and you just come in and you try to get what you can out of the sermon. Get out again. I want to tell you, you're going to walk out the same way you came in. The Bible is teaching us systematically and very, very clearly that it is in praise that there is a secret of victory. That it is in praise and adoration of the name of God that we have answered to prayers. Paul and Silas in the book of Acts, they got arrested in Philippi. They got beaten up so badly that they were bleeding all over. They took them to the inner room of the prison in the dungeon and they put their feet in the stock and there They did not call for a prayer vigil to be released from prison. They did not cry to God and say, oh God, we've been faithful in serving you. How come we're suffering like this? No way. The Bible said they were singing and praising God. And what happened? Earthquake came along (laughs) just by accident. Shook the city. Tore the gates of the prison and converted the prison warden. That's what praise does. Shook the ground. Convert the lost. In the book of Chronicles, Second Chronicles chapter 20, King Jehoshaphat looked around and the Assyrians are about to decimate him and his whole nation. And he knew that he hasn't got a chance to fight them. What did he do? Before he sent the soldiers in the battle, he sent the priests ahead of them. Why? To praise God, to bless the name of God, to glorify the name of God. Do you know what happened? The Assyrian army, 185,000 of them, were absolutely gone kaputs without people of Israel shot even a single shot. When Moses got out of Egypt with nearly one million people, the numbers varies from 800,000 to a million, and I'm not going to argue about the number, but he had a whole bunch of people. (laughs) And they were all complaining and murmuring, we don't like this food, we don't like this, well, what about this, and what about this, and they're driving them nuts, and the next thing, the Amalekites come in, and we're about to destroy them. God said to him to get out on top of the mountain. He goes on top of the mountain and he holds his rod up high, which is a posture of praise and adoration. It is a symbol of lifting up the name of God. And every time Moses' hands are high, lifted up, the people of God were having victory. Every time he weakens and the rod comes down, they lose. And finally, Aaron and Hur come on each side of Moses and lifted his hand up. And then finally, they won the victory, praise, adoration of the name of God is the secret for answered prayer. It is the secret for victory in your life. I want to ask you this. Are you a praising person? Are you a praising man? Are you a praising woman? Are you a praising young man? Are you a praising young woman? 
when Isaiah had the privilege of peering into the very presence of God in heaven, he was overwhelmed. Not only that he cried out, holy, 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 but he recognized how sinful he is in the flight of the purity of God. I wonder how many of us, when we come in praise and adoration, we feel that way. We're standing before a holy God who not only loved us and saved us and welcomes us and befriends us, but we intake all of his gifts and all of his blessings and all of the things he's given us for granted. And we just move on and move on in life. I don't have to tell you that today we live among people who take the name of the Lord in vain. People who degrade and defile the name of the Lord. People who use the name of God in blasphemy. God's character is lampooned and ridiculed. But you know why this happens? Do you know why they use the name of the Lord in a blasphemous way? It's because His holiness, His righteousness, and His purity makes them uncomfortable. Because His righteousness and His goodness invoke either reverence, adoration, and worship, or anger, even if it's not expressed anger and hostility. And that is why praise... Not just in words, but in giving of ourselves and our substance. Also in obedience to his word. That is why praise is power. You and I have power with God when we praise his name. I long realized that I can bring honor and praise to the name of God by the way I conduct my life. Not just publicly, but privately. Long time I recognized that. Incredible, awesome responsibility. It began at that time when I did not like my name as a youngster. And the fact that my name is well known and I had to live up to that name. And when the Lord brought me to himself, I began to recognize that I too can bring dishonor and discredit to the name of God. Every one of us can either credit the name of God or discredit the name of God. Every one of us. Do you realize that you can bring praise to his name? Not only in your own life, but others will see you and then they will praise God. There are some Christians, of course, who live their Christian life as if it's a burden. There are some who live their Christian life as they just keep it a secret and just keep it to myself and never speak of him, especially with their friends who don't know the Lord. Why? Why? I'll tell you why. Lest they get accused of being unbalanced and religious fanatics. I want to tell you, I am proud of the fact that I'm an unbalanced person in the sight of the world. (laughs) Somebody years ago accused me of being a nut. I said, well, at least I'm screwed in the right bolt. (laughs) (laughs) Because when I am not at the center, as far as the world is concerned, I'm off balance. But as far as God is concerned, when Jesus is at the center, you are balanced. As far as he's concerned. And that's really who matters. That's really who matters at the end. Hallowed be your name. I want to conclude with something. And I really hope that if, if you switched off and have not listened to a thing I said, that you don't switch off of what I'm going to tell you right now as I conclude this message. I've thought long and hard about 
most believers' behavior toward God and my own in many ways at some point in my life. And I realized that some Christians behave toward God the way teenagers, sometimes some teenagers, not all of them, but some teenagers behave toward their parents. (laughs) What do they do? Let's analyze that for a moment and then apply that to our relationship with the Lord. First of all, most teenagers pretend that their parents don't exist. (laughs) You come in their face and he says, Hello, I live here, I'm your father. Especially in front of their peers. Oh man. (laughs) When you are driving them somewhere, they want you to drop them off as far away from their friends as you can. They don't mind walking at that point. (laughs) They do not want their parents to show affection toward them, or they show affection toward their parents, especially in front of their friends. Teenagers often act with ingratitude. They may not call it that. They may not understand it that way. But they often act in lack of appreciation of who their parents are and what their parents are doing for them. And I know that hurts most parents. Yet parents know how wonderful it is when they get out of that stage. They know what it's like when their children express delight in their parents and love toward their parents and gratitude to their parents. I want to tell you as a parent, you would not be a human being if you don't want to pour everything on them. You want to love them with all of your heart. You hold nothing back. My beloved friends, I want to ask you, how much more? Take this and magnify it. I don't know how many times. How much you who want to see their attitude of gratitude and how you react to it. And how that becomes a sheer joy to your life. I want to tell you, magnify that and think of God, our heavenly daddy. Because I want to tell you that that same principle applies in our relationship with our Heavenly Daddy. To honor and uplift the great name of God produces immediate response of love in His great heart. To praise Him with all of your heart, to praise Him with your substance, to praise Him in obedience is a sheer delight. To the heart of God. And the more we lose ourselves in adoration of God. The more blessed and overwhelmed with his loving response toward us. Do you feel spiritually in a dry land today? Do you feel that heaven is like brass? And all you seem to be hearing is the echoes of your own prayers. Do you feel that God is not really responding to you. Try praise in all of its three forms. Try praise, try praise, try praise in all of its three forms. And not just once, but develop the life of praise. Develop the attitude of gratitude. Every moment of every waking moment and of every day, bless the name of the Lord and watch out And feel the delight that the Lord has in you. Let's pray. If you have heard the voice of God today, please do not harden your heart.
Respond to him. He wants to delight himself in you. He really, really does. And if you have not learned how to praise him with your heart, with your lips, with your giving, with your obedience, to be a praising man and a praising woman, so that you would bring delight to the heart of God. The Bible said that he rejoices over us with singing. Wherever you are, this is between you and God. Oh God, I want to be a praising person. I have not been, but I want to. Lord God, I want to bless you today. Glorify you today. Magnify your name today. Father God, we sing. There's nothing compared with you. And we live our lives that everything compares with you. Forgive us for that. Father God, I pray that you will raise an army of men and women who know how to have victory over the enemy and over sin and over temptation. Men and women who know how to take on the strongholds. Men and women who know how to take on the enemy's camp and bring glory to your name because we have become praising people. Father, let us prize that as the most important thing in life. We thank you, Father, that you have already heard our prayers and that you have answered them because I know it is a desire of your heart and according to your will. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.